All right, everybody, if we could come back in here for a minute. Come on back in. Um, normally, this is where we do the call to worship, but we have a, I have an announcement, a, a little bit of a different announcement, and I want to take some time for, to specifically pray about this as we go. Many of you received, if you checked your email, you received a survey uh, on the leadership structure. Right now, we're in the process of transitioning into a new leadership structure for the next season here at Grace. Um, and I wanted to give a little uh, more clarity around that as well as take time to pray specifically for that as a body. If you haven't got that survey, if you, if you need to, uh, see Stacy, check your email, and don't we have a sign-up or something with that? Or just see Stacy over here, and she'll make sure you get that with that. Uh, people have asked what, what specifically this is for. This is for the process of either adding to or replacing our current elder model. Uh, an elder team. It depends on who is nominated and how we go through that. But this is going to be the group of people who are leading us through the next season as a church that we're really excited about. Um, And to be clear, it's a process of cooperation. We're going to talk about that today as the final Sunday in our Rediscovering Grace series of how do we cooperate? What does community look like here? And what fuels that? So it's important to note that this is not, we're not taking a vote this is, not, um, this is not a popularity contest. This is not a way of uh, giving affirmation like, hey, you really like a person and you want to affirm them, so you submit their name. It's not, it's not for that at all. It is to discern together as a body of believers who is to provide leadership for us for the next season of life with that. So that involves prayer. It involves reflection. It involves uh, looking at scripture deeply. We provided a list of outline, just a brief list outline of what traditionally we talk about, the qualifications for leadership within the church. That's included in the survey. It's not exhaustive with that. But we're looking at who has the spirit gifted to lead us into that. So it's not comprehensive. It's not exclusive. It's not voting. It's not a popularity contest. It's not a way just of affirming people, but it's a way of, um, of discerning together who that should be. Um, those are due by September 10th. So we've got all next week and the next Sunday we'll talk about it. And I want to say here that it's important that we take this seriously, but not fearfully. It's not, this isn't anything to be afraid of. We take it seriously, but not fearfully with that. Uh, to do it circumspectly, but also not obsessively. It's okay. Listen, we just went through a whole season of studying Acts. The church makes mistakes. We will make mistakes. We've made them. We're, we are making them now, I'm sure, in uh, somewhere. And we will make them. We're human, right? But the reason why we can do that without fear is because ultimately this is God's thing. If we've learned anything, right, God's guiding the process. God is involved in the process. God is in and through and among the process. And so this is just another exercise in learning to discern the voice of God, to see the hand of God, to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, of making Jesus Lord with that. So this is a God thing, and it is something to be, like I said, entered into seriously, but not fearfully with that. So pray with me, if you would, um, for this process. And then as we end the prayer, we're going to go straight into reciting the Nicene Creed. 
Again, as we look back, as we, as we wrap up this week of discovering grace, rediscovering grace with that, we understand that our non-negotiable is, is expressed. It's not the creed itself, but it's what's expressed in the creed with that. that. That's our foundational orienting point that allows us to kind of synthesize the leading of the Holy Spirit and the authority of Scripture, the witness of the church into that. that if you were looking for a short way to say that, we say this is the best short way to say that. God, we are grateful. We're so grateful that we get to do this. That you have invited us into the creative process of being your church. That as image bearers, those made in the Imago Dei, the image of God, You have gifted each of us to bring something to the table. Something to connect, to make something far beyond anything that by ourselves we could accomplish. And so we ask specifically now that you would guide us in this process of discernment over leadership for the next season. Who that should be what we should call it, how we should structure it. And we do this taking this seriously, but also without fear. Because you are with us. And this is your church. And I ask you to just take a minute while I'm silent to ask for that discernment that you would ask God for it for yourself as an individual, but also for us as a community. God, to that discernment, add courage, wisdom, grace, and love that we may hear and respond, that we may faithfully obey where you lead us. And we do that with this confession in mind. If you'll look and read along with me. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, for and our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom will have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, 
who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life in the world to come. Amen. Well, welcome. My name is John Ray. I'm uh, one of the leaders here at, at Grace. And one of my favorite things to do when I'm traveling, especially uh, you can't really do it here in the States, but in other countries, is when you're traveling on a train, is to stand in between the cars, out in the open, in the air. And it was in, in uh I think it was a train ride in India. Well, it was a train ride in India that I was taking 48-hour train ride up the coast, and I would often go out and stand and just let the air rush over me as I was going, get away from the stale smoke and the, and the cramped quarters. And as I was standing there in between the, the two train cars on this particular trip, uh, I heard the door open and some young men came out to smoke a cigarette and so I turned to walk out, but they noticed I was an American, and they stopped to have a conversation. Being an American on the train in this place was pretty unique. And so I started talking with them, and y- y'all know I'm deaf in one ear anyway, so making out the conversation is difficult face-to-face, much less with the train going by and all the noise and everything. But I was doing my best through the accents. And it turned to politics. This was not long after 9-11. And... Uh, and as you know, India and Pakistan have a, have a very tense relationship um, with that. And there was a heightened escalation of that, of that tension between India and Pakistan. And we were talking, they started talking politics. Usually I try to stay away from it, but uh, they were asking me what I thought. And then one of the young men, without any hint of malice, without any hint of, um, of hatred or evil, turned and he said, look, this, this is just so simple. He goes, you're, you're Christians, Americans, you're Christians, so you hate Muslims, and we're Hindus, so we hate Muslims, and, and we both have nuclear armies, so all we have to do is just nuke them all. All we have to do is just get together and nuke all of the Muslims, and then everybody will be happier. And, and I was just speechless with this. Because, again, there was no malice in the tone of voice. There was no, and he wasn't joking. But in, in this mindset, the math worked. It was obvious that, that they were bad and we are good. And while we may not like Christians, we know Christians hate this, so we can get together for this and destroy them. A plus B equals C. And I don't remember how I got out of the situation. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that I came back with some pithy or prophetic response, but I'm sure I didn't. Um, but that conversation has stuck with me because what it illustrates is what's called a bounded set reality versus an open set reality. And we have this graphic that kind of describes it. 
So essentially what a bounded set mentality says is that there is, a, there is a hard line between right and wrong, good and evil, black and white, us and them. And it really doesn't matter where you are in the set. What just matters is that you're on our side. And it really doesn't matter what your intention or where you are if you're outside the set. It just means you're, another, you're an other. You're, you're, you're one of them. You're not one of us. Now, let me be quick to say, whenever we discuss this, there are absolutely situations that call for boundaries. Okay, I'm not saying boundaries per se are bad. We all need boundaries, personal boundaries, behavioral boundaries, boundaries with time and space and interaction, okay? So this is not anti-boundary per se. This is more about our imagination of how we organize and see ourselves with this. And when bounded set mentality is allowed to dominate, what you get are conversations like I had on the train. What it does is other people. It makes them other. You can start to speak of them just in monolithic group sets. Them. The ones against, the enemies, the others, the outs. Whereas a centered set mentality, what you'll notice here is that people are arranged kind of in the same splay over that, but what defines them is not whether they are in or out of a set, but which direction they are headed, where their focus is, where they are going. Because the truth is, if, the church had, if there is any hope for the church to transcend the things that separate us, gender, ethnicity, Nationality, economic status, intellectual capacity, abilities or disabilities. If there is any hope for us as a church to actually be what Jesus calls us to be, a group that transcends those things, that is multi-ethnic, multi-generational, people from all backgrounds, nationalities, of all abilities, the only way for that possibly to work is to, be a, is to be dominated by a center set imagination, not a bounded set imagination with that. Is that and what it, this also requires is much more discipline. Because the direction that we are headed, in a way, we never really fully get there, Right? It's easy for me to say, okay, here's the line. I'm on this side, now I'm on this side. Whew. I'm in. Rest. I don't have to do anything now. It doesn't matter how far away I am from the center, as long as I'm across front. I can just be here. I can just stay right here, and I'm good. Just got to make sure I don't step back. I stay right here. But in a centered set mentality... There is the continual need for that process of transformation more and more into the image of Christ. There is a continual need for that cycle of repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. To keep myself oriented towards and moving forward towards Christ with that. Because I never fully arrive. I never... There's no line that I cross ultimately until maybe something happens in death that we finally achieve that. But in this life, we're always being called more and more, deeper and deeper, further in, higher up and further in with that. And so as we look at what it means to be Grace Church, 
And what we do, this is, this is an organizing way for us to organize our imagination. But like last week I said, when we talked about accents and learning languages, how becoming a Christian is a lot like learning a language with that, how we have the accent often, but we really don't understand the vocabulary. Well, with this, it's the same thing. We can say this, but what do we really hear? Because Grace Church is, is a mystery in many ways. We are trying to do something that while we may look, smell, act, meet, that looks very similar to other churches in very different ways. At the same time, we're trying to do something which I feel is really unique. And I was telling someone this week, is, uh, um, y'all, I'm smoking what I'm selling on this. <laughs> like, like, I really honestly believe this stuff. I believe that we can do this, not because I'm smart or you're pretty or whatever, but because I believe this is God's church. I believe that God the Holy Spirit is leading us more and more. I believe that we are being transformed. I believe that, that people are coming to know God in ways that they don't know God in other places and in other ways. Like, I believe it is possible Again, not because of my own gift, not because of, you know, just our innate gifting among us, but because I believe what God says. And that's a process, right? Like if, if you had told me 15 years ago when Jane and I became part of the Grace community that I would believe some of the things that I believe right now, I would have told you you're crazy. And this is an illustration of what I mean by this centered set mentality. Because if I worked in bounded set mentality, what I would be thinking as a teacher of the Bible and as a member of this church is to, is to nail the correct doctrine, period. And, became, and become apologetic, better and better in my apologetics of being able to defend that. That is not what has happened to me. Over 15 years, and the process of submitting myself to Scripture, not submitting Scripture to my doctrine, but submitting my doctrine to Scripture, and myself, and my thoughts, and my experiences, is that I have been radically transformed in some ways. There are things that I would have told you were true 15 years ago that I will tell you right now are not true. And on a whole, I'll tell you, I know a lot less. As a whole, I will tell you, I know a lot less. I am confident or certain of much less than I was 15 years ago. But what I am confident of, I am more firmly confident of than I've ever been with that. And in Grace Church, one of our dynamics, one of our ethos, one of our things that's reflected in this is that we are continually submitting ourselves to the guidance of the Holy, Script, of, of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, 
in the process of engaging and submitting ourselves to Scripture, in the process of engaging and submitting ourselves to one another with that. And so by definition, this church will not be the same church next year. It won't be the church in five years. It won't be the same church in 10 years. It can't be because it's alive. We are growing in these understandings. We are changing as we go with that, in that. I don't know what the end is going to be. I don't know exactly what that means. But I am committed to the process of it. And that's kind of what's reflected in this. Well, how does all that work, right? How does all that work? Well, let's look at, let's look at this. Jesus gives an incredible command to his followers before he goes. And when we talk about the commands of Jesus, this may be the hardest, the most difficult of all to obey. Even to understand, much less obey with that. John 15, starting verse 12, he says this. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant... Um, oh yeah, back up, sorry. My command is this, start with this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And we've talked about this before at various different times at Grace, how Jesus changes Scripture. Because before, he says, they say, what's the greatest commandment? What's he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, right? Second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But here, he says, a new command I give to you. This one actually supersedes that. He says, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. Well, what's the commandment here? Is it the Ten Commandments? No. It's lay down your life for each other. The command is in the imperative that he says, that he's just said. Love each other. That's the command. Lay down your life for each other. That's the command. And he goes on to say, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Now, there's some interesting things here. Because what we find is that love is the thing that is going to make this work. Not the, not the emotion love. Not Hollywood love. Not superficial love, but love as expressed in in following Jesus' example of laying down our lives for each other. And we talked last week about this. We use this matrix. Where flourishing happens when an individual has a high degree of authority as well as a high degree of vulnerability. And we've been talking about... um, with this, what is the opposite of love? Well, the opposite of love in many ways is fear. It's not the only thing, but fear is the opposite of love. Fear comes from losing control. Fear comes from not having power. Fear comes from feeling helpless with that. Jesus has given each one of us authority. 
Not positional authority, but the authority that comes from being undeniably, unequivocally, irrevocably loved. Have you ever thought about that? How that gives you agency? How that affirms you as an individual, as a person created in the image of God, is that you are loved totally, fully, irrevocably, without condition. How that actually, that actually gives you agency. That gives you power because that can't be taken away. The love of God, the love that God has for you cannot be taken away from you. And that translates into authority. That's why Jesus invites us to lay down our life. He doesn't take our lives from us. He invites us. First, he gives us life by his love. And then he says, and now I invite you to follow me, to find even more life. To take the thing I've given you and lay it down to receive even more. And that's the authority that we have with that. Is that as we walk in that agency, as we accept that we are loved, We have the ability to flourish. We have the ability to love others without fear. Now, again, when we're talking about love, it's a squishy subject, right? Because it's a word. And we've all heard the sermons about, you know, English only has one word for love and Greek has three words. And these people have, Eskimos have 27 different words for snow. And why don't we have more loves? And how can I love my mom and love pizza and love my dog and love God and use the same word, right? Okay, I get all that. You get all that. It's true. <laughs> but, but here's specifically what we're talking about. Here's specifically what we're talking about. We need, to, we need to be careful with. We need to recognize that love is not an emotion. But it is not free from emotion. It's not separate from emotion. Okay, so love isn't an emotion, but it's not absent from emotion. It's not a philosophy, but it is encountered with the intellect. We we have to make choices with our intellect in regard to love. And it's also not an action, but it's not free from action. It is not inert. It's intentional. So it's not just an emotion, it's not just a philosophy, it's just an action, but it involves all those things. All of those things are part of it. And the thing that we need to know is that while we may never come to a succinct definition of love with words, that does not mean we cannot know love. And the way we know love is in our relationships with each other. Love cannot be present in a vacuum. We cannot encounter, experience, or express love apart from relationships with other people. So let me let that sink in a minute, okay? We cannot encounter, express, or understand love apart from our relationship with other people. That's where it happens. That's our point of connection to it. That's where it becomes tangible. 
That's become, that, that is where the knowing transcends our words, are in those interactions. Now, in the Bible, we see this time and time again. Primarily, we see that the highest form of experiential love in the Bible is the covenant that God makes with his people. Is that God establishes this covenant. None of us are, are capable of covenant. You know that? We can't make, we can say we make covenants, but we really can't because a covenant ultimately says, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, I'm going to fulfill my side of the bargain. That's what a covenant says. You look at it in the Old Testament, time and time again, God is making covenants. He's saying, hey, it doesn't matter what you do, I'm going to do this for you. Now, he invites us to reciprocate. He invites us to, to respond, but he also knows you ain't going to do it. Like, like this is not going to, like, like that's, that's what it means covenant is. I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself with that. We can be covenant receivers. We can believe in it. We can benefit from it. We can't make them. God makes that with us. So in the Bible, we see that covenant. But our response to covenant is community. Our response to covenant is to live in community, is to figure stuff out. Look, we get so wrapped up. There's so many books on leadership and structure and development, and we have corporations and foundations and, and seminars and all this stuff and, and political process and all this stuff. I get it, but in one sense, it all boils down to just, hey, how are y'all going to get along? How are you going to take care of one another? How are you going to make decisions? That's our response to covenant love, is to say, you know what? We're going to take that serious. We are going to take that serious. We are going to invest ourselves into this way of figuring out how to be the people that God has called together. That God has called together. Not that we've bounded, set up boundaries, but who God has called here, how God has gifted them. Okay, how are we going to do this together? That's what we're doing at Grace Church. That's what it means to be community with that. That takes time, that takes all the fruits of the Spirit, and that takes everybody buying in. And again, here is something. When we say, when we say at Grace Church in our Discovering Grace class, every member is a minister. Most people nod their heads and go, yeah, that's cool. And then something goes wrong and they go, oh, I need Pastor John. I'm not the pastor, right? Like we say that, but people don't hear that. We say every member is a minister. We say everybody here has a, is gifted and called by the Holy Spirit. Everybody here has something to bring to the table. That there is nobody here who is without something to give, and there is no one here who is without a need that needs to be met. We say that, but that's not the way the world operates. And that's not what we're used to. And so when things get wonky and things get hard, we usually default to just the authoritarian rigid structures of transactional relationships, withholding ourselves, expecting from others, and it falls apart. 
But let's listen to this. Let's listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. Because I believe that, that this is what the text is teaching us. Is that we all have something to give. Like, like when we come in here, we have a responsibility to be here for others. Let me say that again. When we come in here, we have a responsibility to be here for others. Now let me tell you, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't want other people depending on me. Like, I like to be seen as a good guy. I like to be seen as someone who can come in and swoop in and kind of play the superhero and, you know, fix something, do something, and then just swoop out again, right? Lone Ranger, right into town. Clean up the big guy, bad guys and then right off in the cloud of dust, right, into the sunset. Like, I don't want to have to be dependent or depended on, and I sure don't want to have to be dependent on y'all. Just be honest. I like you, love you, don't want to be dependent on you. That's not comfortable for me. But I believe that's what I'm called to be. Well, listen to what Paul says. He says, for just as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so too is Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free. We are all made to drink of one spirit. For in fact, the body is not a single member. Listen, y'all. This is not the body. It is not just one member. None of us. If the foot says, I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it does not lose its membership in the body because of that. If the ear says, since I am not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it does not lose its membership in the body because of that. If the whole body were an eye, the whole body were one piece. What part would do this, the hearing? If the whole were an ear, what part would exercise the sense of smell? But as a matter of fact, God has placed each of the members of the body as he has decided. If they were all the same member, where would the body be? So now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, nor can turn to the head, or nor in turn, can the head say to the foot, I do not need you. On the contrary, those members that seem to be weaker are essential. And those members we consider less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our unpresentable members are clothed with dignity. But our presentable members do not need this. Indeed, God has blended together the body, giving greater honor to the, to the lesser members. So that there may be no division in the body. But the members may be, have mutual concern for one another. If one member suffers, everyone suffers with it. If a member is honored, all rejoice with it. Now you, or should I say here, we. Now we are Christ's body. And each of us is a member in it. 
I wish I could offer you some slick PowerPoint presentation about how Grace Church has figured out how to structure ourselves in a technologically infused 21st century Western congregation. I wish I could tell you that we have this neat packaged strategy, color-coded tabs that we're going to work through to achieve maximum efficiency within the communities of Northwest Arkansas and into the world. I can't. I can offer you this. My part. I can offer you everything that I have, everything that I've learned. I can choose to make myself vulnerable to you and trust you that we are going to work this out together. And I can offer you my hope because I am hopeful. Not because of anything I've got, but because of what God is doing, what God has done, what God is doing, and what God says God will do with that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I want to, uh, <clears throat> I want to read you a quote. This has been said. Said so the church must above all be a school of love. If it's not that, it's nothing. Its goal is not simply to pump knowledge into people, but to train them in the way of love so that they may do the work of the Lord empowered by the Holy Spirit as the embody of Christ, embodiment of Christ. We have the power through the Holy Spirit to create a new future of the church as a school of love which means a school of listening, dialogue, appreciative inquiry, understanding, preemptive peacemaking, reconciliation, prophetic confrontation, advocacy, generosity, and personal and social transformation. The church is a school of love, a place to do that, a place to actually take Scripture seriously when Jesus says, love each other as we've been loved by Him. Everything that we do has to be oriented towards that. That is the center of our set as a church, is to follow the command of Jesus, is to actually do what Jesus says we should do. Um, it was interesting this week as I was preparing for this message, I was looking up some Dallas Willard. Now, how many of you on Google, you'll pull up something, it'll be in a different language, and it'll say, do you want Google to translate this page? Right? We've all seen that. Well, I found it interesting when I pulled up Dallas Willard this week, Google dropped down and said, do you want me to translate this page? <laughs> it was in English. <laughs> but it was Dallas Willard. <laughs> and I feel like that sometimes when I'm up here, I'm like, do you want me to translate this page for you? I know I'm speaking English, but do you want me to translate this page for you? Right? Because we all have those filters, right? We all have those filters. We're all still learning to hear through the accents and the hearing loss and the tradition. Really learning to what Jesus says. He says, You're, you, I've shown you who I am. 
I've taught you these things. I call you're my friends because you know what I want. You've seen who I am. You've seen who the Father is because you've been with me. Now go and do it. Now go and do it. And that's where we experience love is in the doing, is in the following. And we invite you to do that. Here's Grace Church. Thank you for being here.